Now this is kind of crazy when you think about it. Look at verse 16 and it says, And it happened when all our enemies heard of it, and all the nations around us saw these things, that they were very disheartened in their own eyes, for they perceived that this was this work was done by our God. That's why you don't have to stand there and argue and do the crazy stuff and defend yourself when you're accused falsely. The work will speak for itself. frustrating to be falsely accused of something. Whether someone claims you did something you shouldn't have, or they say you didn't do something you were supposed to, you can waste a lot of breath trying to argue your case. As Pastor Mark explains in today's message, there's no point in exhausting your energy in this way. It may take days, years, or maybe even the hindsight of eternity before your honor is restored. But as long as you are honest before God and see the job through to completion, you have no reason to be ashamed. God knows your heart and the opinion of man doesn't matter. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of Nehemiah chapter 6 for today's edition of Come Alive. We need to be careful. Just because somebody comes toting a Bible, quoting from the Bible, it's easy to take Matthew 6.33, and this is where I'm going, and take that verse and say, you know, seek first the kingdom and God will add all these things to you. And a lot of people take that and say, yeah, you're going to be rich, you're going to be wealthy, you're going to be this, you're going to be that, you're going to... No, 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 you got to be careful because what that verse is actually talking about is worry, anxiety, fear. Jesus is saying, if you just have faith and trust in me, all your stuff will be taken care of. I will provide you what you need. I'm not going to give you steak and lobster every night, but all the things that you need, what you need, just what you need, and sometimes an abundance of what you need will be taken care of. Psalm 61.4 says this, I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. Again, it sounds very reasonable what Shemaiah is saying, and one might even take some scripture to support it. You can do that. People have done that, but be careful. What Nehemiah needed was discernment, and he needed it now more than ever, and he gets it, and I'm going to show you how he does this because it's very important that we do this too. Look at verse 11 with me. Verse 11 says, And I said, Should such a man as I flee? And who is there such as I who would go into the temple to save his life. I will not go in. So here's what happens is beware of flattering Christians. They they will be the first to rejoice when you go down. Those flattering Christians. See, Nehemiah needed discernment and he got it. Knowing the heart of God as it is revealed in the whole counsel of God's word, not just parts of it, not just parts of it, It was true what that lady said. Jesus did tell Peter that, but not in context, not in the way she took it out of context. And it is true that Shemaiah says, why don't you run to the temple? Because we did just back it up with that psalm and say, it is for us to run into God's temple. It is for us to run and take shelter there. 
But Nehemiah, knowing the heart of God as it's revealed in the whole council from beginning to end of God's word, he had discernment. Shemaiah tried to create fear in Nehemiah and tried to get him to disobey God based on his fear. And you might be thinking, well, how, how is he trying to get him to disobey God? Well, here's how. If you know anything about the Old Testament, and I know most of you do because we've gone through it verse by verse, line upon line, many times in Exodus and different, and, and different books in the Old Testament, you should know this, that only who is allowed in the temple? The priests. Inside of the temple. In the temple courts, the Gentiles or the people were allowed, but not until the New Testament were the Gentiles because they had the court of the Gentile. They had the court of the women. So the priests were the only ones allowed inside of the temple. And Nehemiah was not a priest. He would have been disobeying God if he had done what Shemaiah had asked of him. So sometimes beware of what people tell you to do just because it sounds holy, just because it sounds biblical. In Second Chronicles 26, King Uzziah, who was not a priest, went into the temple. And what did God do to him? He instantly struck him with leprosy. See, he seeks, what Shemaiah is trying to do is he's seeking to persuade Nehemiah into an easygoing, compromising religion that will basically just shirk persecution, that will carry no cross, and that's governed by fear of the opinions of other people. See, the same things can happen to you and I if we're not careful. Uh, There's a lot of that going on. It's like, oh, cool. You know, I heard somebody the other day go, dude, I really love my church. I was like, what do you love about it? They're like, dude, they don't, we don't use the Bible. Well, really? Not at all? Well, I mean, you know, we use verses out of it, but I mean, we don't have to bring a Bible. We don't have to read the Bible. There's just, it's really kind of cool. We talk about, and I told you about the guy, yeah, what book are you going through? Well, I'm going through Nehemiah. What? I'm going through the book called Freedom. Freedom? Where, where's that? Oh, this guy wrote it. It's a really good book. That's what we're going through at our church. <laughs> you belong to a book club. See, sometimes we're persuaded to go through an easygoing, compromising faith, which is no faith at all. If we are told not to carry the cross, if we are not spoken to about sin, if we're not told to repent of that, then I would be aware of what that person is preaching. See, the message had all the marks of authenticity that Shemaiah was talking about, but it was used to elicit fear. Let us meet together in the house of God, he says. Man, that sounds holy. Come, let's meet in the house of the Lord. Let's pray together. Shemaiah knew how to use religious talk, but he was, it was still a trap. Nehemiah didn't freak out. He didn't panic. He didn't succumb. He didn't give in to self-interest. He measured his message by the known revelation of God and the law that was entrusted to Israel. You know, you're entrusted with something great, and it's this, with God's word. Plant it in your heart. Live it out every day. And, and I'll tell you, you'll be fooled less and less the more you do. Nehemiah had recognized what God had for him to do, and so he needed to remain at one's post despite all the threats that were against him and despite his own safety. So you and I have a position in Christ. And running away does not fit that position that we have. We are always told to stand. If we were told to run away, there, I don't think the put on the full armor of God verse would be in the Bible at all. We're never told to run away. We're told to stand. 
We're sometimes even told to suffer well. So you and I have that position in Christ. Nehemiah's second question casts doubt on the veracity of Shemaiah's original message and the integrity of the messenger. Look at verse the second half of verse 11 again, and it says, I who would go into the temple, or it says, and who is there such as I who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. Nehemiah stood brave against this religious deception. You and I are called to stand brave against religious deception. That that doesn't mean we're to be argumentative. I wasn't trying to argue with the lady yesterday. I was just trying to correct a wrong. I was trying to put somebody on the right path and say, hey, you know, I, I would really love to see you worship God. Not here at Cal, just wherever you want to go, as long as it's a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. See, in his commitment to obedience, God revealed to him the heart of this man. And sometimes that is what we need to do is ask the Lord, can you... Just pray. Shoot up a quick prayer. It doesn't need to be long. It doesn't need to have all the theological words in it. Just, Lord, help me understand. Help me hear. Help me see. Give me discernment. And God revealed to him the heart of this guy who was not a true prophet. Instead, he was on sand ballots, the enemy's payroll. See, it was a violation of the law for someone who was not a priest to enter into the temple. And Nehemiah had predetermined that he wasn't going to compromise. Predetermined. That word predetermined means we decide beforehand. We predetermine that we're not going to sin. We predetermine that we will make a covenant with our eyes as men. We are not going to look at those things that we shouldn't look at. We are not going to look at another woman that is not our wife. We predetermine the walk we will have. We predetermine that this is the life. And yeah, you know what? Are you going to fail? Sure you are. Miserably you will fail. But we pop back up, we stand, we don't crawl away, we stand back up and we repent of our sins and we say, Lord, forgive me. And what true repentance is, is walking away from it. Never to go back to visit it again. Never to go back to that same thing again. Let me ask you, have you predetermined that you as well will not compromise your walk with your Lord and Savior? Just predetermine that. It's hard. See, because when someone comes with biblical advice that is against what God's word says, do not waver, and it will help you not to waver. You will stand firm. Yesterday, I, I had the opportunity to teach at a men's conference that was at a gun range. I called it the Manival. It's kind of a play on words with man and carnival. And we got to shoot guns, and one of the, one of the classes they were giving, they said, listen, you guys paid for it, you might as well get it. Sometimes you forget as a shooter when you're shooting your handgun how to stand. So everybody that is an experienced shooter, stand up and show us your stance. There's some guys that had their knees locked, and as a pastor, if you've ever been to a wedding, one of the things as a bestman or a groomsman, they always tell you, don't lock your knees. Why? Because it restricts the airflow, because an athletic stance is like this, right? Airflow. You restrict the airflow, well, your brain starts to do different things. And, and I learned something yesterday I didn't know. If you wear glasses and you're shooting a gun sometimes, and especially and it was a, like a self-defense shooting thing, and somebody's running at you, you're, you get tunnel vision quicker than anybody else that doesn't wear glasses or contacts. So there were different people, different stances, and the guy said, nope, the way you do it is this way, and he showed us, you kind of lean, and it was kind of funny, you point the gun, so you can, and if somebody's trying to take the gun away, you can pull back, and you better fire quick if they're three feet, and all this cool stuff. But see, all of that, and then the guy showed us the right stance, if somebody tries to take a gun away from you, how to stand, 
when somebody tries to take it, you don't hold one hand because it's easy to take the gun away out of a guy that's holding his gun with one hand and he's talking about the stance and all this stuff and how you can be knocked off balance. And it's the same thing with Christianity. There's a, a right way to stand. It's not really a position that I can show you, but the right way to stand is to stand on the foundation of God, his word, and what he tells us. And so that way when there, somebody comes to us and tries to rob us of our joy or scare us or give us fear, we do not waver. We don't step back and forth. We're not caught off guard. We're not off balance, but we stand strong. Look at verse 12. Let's move on. It says, Then I perceived that God had not sent him at all, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. There he is. There you go. That's how I know he was paid. He's on somebody's payroll. Look at verse 13. For this reason, he was hired that I should be afraid and act that way and sin so that they might have cause for an evil report that they might reproach me. Let's stop there. If Nehemiah believed this guy's religious talk, he would have sinned. And when we sin as Christians, it really gives others something to find fault with and discredit us. There's enough false accusations going around. Sanballat and Tobiah wanted to discredit Nehemiah and alienate him from those he served, and basically this would have destroyed his effectiveness and his community. Look at verse 14. It says, My God, remember Tobiah and Sanballat according to these, their works, and the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who would have made me afraid. So obviously there were other prophets out there. There were other prophets doing this stuff. Best of all, instead of lashing out against this guy and his fellow false religionists, he simply committed these wicked men and the situation to God. See, if God could take care of Nehemiah, then he could also take care of Shemaiah, or Shemaiah according to divine wisdom. See, Nehemiah's response to this threefold attack of pretended friendship and slander and false religion kind of makes us admire him as a leader. Let me say this, we can even love and admire Jesus more than this. Because remember, when in this verse, as you think about it, and I want to make this comparison real fast, when they asked him, come down to the plain of Ono, remember I made that lame joke about Yoko, and they said to Nehemiah, but they said this to Jesus as well, come down from the cross, come down from the cross. Remember, we made reference to Satan coming to Jesus in that temptation moment when he's in the wilderness for 40 days. And Satan's sitting there telling him all of this stuff and saying, hey, why don't you just do this? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do this? And Jesus, and so guess what Satan did? He used the word of the Lord. Satan's a great theologian. He knows God's word better than, man, I would even say Billy Graham or anybody that you find very respectful knowing God's word. He knows God's word. So he tried to use God's word against Jesus, but Jesus said, oh, no, no, not in context, bro. See, Satan knew that Jesus was going to be promised the world, the kingdom. He was going to sit at God's right hand. He was going to get it all. But what Satan was trying to do is distract him from the path. Satan was like, hey, here's the easy way. You bow down and you worship me. I'll give it all to you, and you won't have to go to the cross. But Jesus chose the cross because it was the right thing to do. He wasn't going to be distracted from his mission. And remember, we talked about who, who that mission was for. It was for you and I. It was important for you and I. See, Jesus was doing a great work, the greatest work on the cross. 
and he wasn't going to be stopped. See, they slandered Nehemiah, but he didn't defend himself. He spoke the truth, and he trusted in God. I'll say this. If somebody accuses you falsely, there's no reason for you to defend yourself. You might think, well, you know, they're going to get away with it, and people might believe it. So, who cares? It's not true. Then who cares? I don't, I don't have to defend myself when I'm accused falsely, and I will not. And the reason I won't is because though my flesh wants to, my flesh would love for revenge to take place. I, I can think up thousands of scenarios to do things to people. I can lay awake all night and do it, but I don't want to be anxious for that. I would rather take the way Jesus and Nehemiah and other guys that I see in the Bible that are accused falsely, and they just, they're like, whatever. Well, the Lord will defend me. There will be that day. See, a, pro, a false prophet offered Nehemiah an easy way out, but it was a way of fear and disobedience. Nehemiah would have none of it. Jesus was also offered a way out of the cross from Satan. Just worship Satan. All those kingdoms of the world will be delivered to him, but Jesus would have none of that. Let's look at verse 15. It says, So the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. Now this is kind of crazy when you think about it. Look at verse 16 and it says, And it happened when all our enemies heard of it, And all the nations around us saw these things that they were very disheartened in their own eyes, for they perceived that this was, this work was done by our God. That's that's why you don't have to stand there and argue and, and do the crazy stuff and defend yourself when you're accused falsely. The work will speak for itself. See, the amount of time it took to finish this job was very short. It was remarkably short when you think about it. The walls were in ruins for more than a hundred years. And then why were they set right in a period of 52 days? Well, why wasn't the job done in more than a hundred years before? Why didn't, why why did it take so long? I mean, for a hundred years, people have been going there trying to do this work and moving back and forth. Here's part of what I think happened. A lot of people had a lot of good intentions. And they all left and they went back and they were like, hey, we're going to rebuild our city. We're going to rebuild Jerusalem. And they get there and they're like, whoa, look at that pile. That's huge. I I used to own a landscape company and we used to do work where there was a big pile of dirt or mulch or whatever it was. And people, the, the new guys always, when they drove up, they'd look at it and they'd say, man, we got to move that over there. Yeah. Do we have a tractor? No, we got shovels and a wheelbarrow. And it's amazing what one shovel at a time, if you just focus on one shovel, one shovel, and just keep doing one shovel. Because, man, you look at that pile, it's ginormous. But at the end of the day, people would always sit around, and all those new guys would be like, dude, I'm amazed that, we, that it's gone. Or, or we'd have to clear a bunch of trees or something on a property, and people were like, there's no way we're going to do that. Yeah, you're not going to knock them all down at one time. You've got to do one tree at a time and pull it out, and one tree at a time. And you'll be amazed at how much. you just got to do it. There's a lot of great intentions out there. And a lot of people see the big pile of stuff in front of them, and it overwhelms them. And the first thing they think is there's no way. And that is true if you think that there's no way. But if you think, yeah, with Yahweh, I can do it his way, and we will get it done. 
So a hundred years, no one was able to do this work. No one saw the problem. It, it wasn't that they didn't want walls. They wanted walls because many people saw the broken walls and they get there and their city's in ruins and the walls are broken down and they can't do anything because they're like, well, there's no walls and the enemies are going to keep coming in and they're going to keep ruining the lives of us. But no one got the, past the place of just wishing that there were walls. It, it took one individual. It takes one person. One person to make, and I tell my son this all the time. He plays baseball. And I'm like, it just takes to win the game just a, one decisive moment. One decision. A decisive moment can change the landscape of everything. And we saw when we started this book that there came a man who did more than wish that Jerusalem had walls. The first thing he did when he heard that the city was ruined is he grieved. He grieved. And then he prayed and then he planned and then he asked boldly, and then he fought, and then he encouraged, and then he stood strong, and he saw the job through to completion. He didn't waver. He knew in his head that this is what he had to get done, no matter how hard it was, no matter how many obstacles came. Because think about this. You know, when he, when he prayed, and the Lord answered and said yes, and he planned, and the Lord said, that's a good plan, and he boldly asked the king... Artaxerxes and said, hey, this is what I want to do. And the king said, yes. I don't think in Nehemiah's mind he thought, man, people are going to slander me. People are going to threaten us. People are going to try to have war with us. Well, when you take on a new job, when you get a, a new position, you probably don't think, man, people are going to come against me. You don't, you're thinking only the good things, and that's great. We should. But we also need to deal with those things that come our way as they come our way and not run away from them. So he also had people around him that were willing to see it through with the same kind of heart. That's what I love about this place, that there are people around me that have the same kind of heart. There are those that are taskmasters and they may not have the same kind of heart. They'll just do whatever you ask them to do. But there are those that have the same kind of heart that sit home and say, man, we would love to see Calvary Katie this way or that way or having this or doing this. And those are the ones that you want around you. Those are the kind of people you want to have around you. Those who, well, those who don't have small ideas about God. Those who dream big because we got a big God. Are you aware how valuable you are to the kingdom of God? You are. Whoever you are and whatever you do is exactly as God intended it to be. He decided long before you were born just what talents you would have and what your unique contribution to the kingdom would look like. No one else can do what you do. And no one else can reach others with the joy and hope of the gospel message like you can. It doesn't matter if you work in the ministry or have a secular job. If you're a student or a professional, or if you're still figuring out God's path for you. Today, you can do great things for Him. We're so glad you joined us today for Come Alive, and we hope the message you've just heard was a blessing to you. Before we go, we'd like to share an opportunity for you to be a part of what we're doing here at Come Alive. Here's Tracy with more information. Thanks, Chris. Each edition of Come Alive that you hear has been professionally produced to minimize any distractions from the message of hope only God can bring. 
While we offer this program for free to our listeners, there are costs involved on our end. Would you pray about joining us as financial supporters of Come Alive? Any and all amounts are useful and so appreciated. Find out more at comealiveradio.com or you can text a donation to Calvary Katie at 77977. That's 77977. Thank you for prayerfully considering this. Thanks, Tracy, and thank you for joining us today for Come Alive. From slaves of 